Howdy guys, Brian Pierce from Seat Time here. I've had a lot of people ask me about doing kind of a history lesson, if you will, with some greats from off-road racing. And so that's what I did tonight. Tonight, I took some time to chat with Mr. Destry Abbott. We've had him on the show previously, back when we were doing the live web shows on YouTube. But this time was a lot different. It was audio only, and we were just chit-chatting about life, kind of going through a little bit of his how he got into racing. So we're going to talk from him being about 13 when he started racing up until he was on KTM's 97 first ISDE, moving then to Cowie, all the way up until now with DA8 training. We talk a little bit about his cancer and all the things he had to go through with that. So thank you for tuning in. There are many ways that you can support us by going to seattime.co slash support. You can become a patron on Patreon and all of those fun things. So if nothing else, thank you for tuning in. Hope you guys enjoy, and we'll chat with you soon. All right, so we are here with Mr. Destry Abbott, and as always, I just want to let you guys know, I have a beer, and I'm ready to go. <laughs> uh, I'm going to take some time to pour this thing into my proper quote-unquote tulip glass, because yes, it says to do that, so I'm going to do it, but let's get this thing started proper like Mr. Destry Abbott. How is your evening going, kind sir? It's good, but I don't have a cold beer. I have actually iced tea in front of me. So, uh, well, that's allowed. Yeah. You're, you're technically still a racer, so yeah. um, you know I'm a weekend yeah. warrior. I think there's a difference. I think I'm I'm kind of leaning that direction more and more. You know, I still enjoy going to the races, racing. You know, training with guys, but uh, yeah, just getting out of that comfort zone I used to do is getting harder and harder as I get older, and especially everything that my my body's been through. I bet. A quick, quick dive into that. Um, Kind of, uh, you know, coming out of cancer and everything you went through, you you started going into rehab and then recovery and really kind of trying to get back to whatever 100% looked like for you now, right? Like you knew that maybe 100% before all this happened, before cancer, might not be achievable, but you probably wanted to try right. anyway. So how is that? Like where do you think you're at percentage-wise of where either A, you wanted to be or B, where you're okay being? Yeah, you know what, you said it about right. You know, I'm probably 75% from where I figured I would be. You know, six months, my doctor's even now, and I, I go back to Houston again next week and do another checkup and at MD Anderson there, and they're like, you're doing amazing, but being an athlete my whole life and competitive, you know, I'm never where I want to be. And, you know, it was a lot of people are amazed where I'm at, but at the same time, I feel like, man, I should be so much farther and fitness just isn't there yet and uh strength is coming but at the at the same time i'm getting a ride again getting to do the training with a lot of my d8 athletes and then my son and so i'm enjoying life you know it's just been uh honestly it's been a really tough struggle not just physically but mentally and dealing with my wife having her breast cancer but she's done with her treatments and uh just one more major surgery so there's a lot of things that are still going we're dealing with that uh you know, we don't really make public, I guess, you know, it's kind of that. Yeah. Oh, gosh, I, I, I try to, yeah. I try to stay positive and, you know, I'm blessed for the most part, but, uh, there's, there's a, still a lot of hard times. Oh, I bet, man. So and to, to swing into how I'm sure you feel some positive vibes, you know, through all the negative stuff you have been going through and still going through with your wife is for you to win in Enduro Cross in the vet class. You know, yeah. and again, like some people are like, ah, oh, it's stupid as the vet class. And I'm like, bro, like the stuff this guy went through, like for him to be where yeah. he's at on a motorcycle and then still be able to come out there and uh, and show dudes his age, if not older, what up? Like, yeah. that's pretty awesome. Yeah, and that's just it. I mean, I'm 45 and I think it's 
35 to be in that, that class there for enduro cross. And, you know, like my speed's good. I actually feel pretty good, but fitness is just really bad. And I rode like a total dweeb in that main <laughs> event there. I mean, honestly, I was floundering. I, I told myself, just get a good start, put in a lap or two. And then it just fell apart. And I had a long day and it was, uh, man, you know, anybody knows that races and stuff when things go bad and it just kept getting worse and worse. And I was really lucky to pull off the win, to be honest with you, because I didn't ride that well at all. And, and it was, I was happy. And I heard people, it sucked because I heard people complaining, like he shouldn't be in the vet class. I'm like, crap, dude, I'm 45. I'm like, yeah, I'd have to race against, you know, Cody Webb, Colt. Those guys are young twenties and stuff. Yeah. I'm like, that's well, not fair it's for me. But funny that you say that. Cause that was going to be my next question. Literally. <laughs> I was going to be like, after all the bullshit that we hear yeah. about Mike Brown at Loretta Lynn's, I was right. going to be like, how much crap did people give you? And they did. Yeah. That's yeah. ridiculous. hundred percent. Right. Mike Brown's 45 and people are complaining about racing the 25 plus class. I'm like, how are people complaining? He's 45 years old and he still puts in the work, you know, and he works hard and he still goes way fast, you know, and yeah, Mike's a good buddy and, you know, it's, I was pumped for him and you're never going to make everybody happy and no matter what you do and, you know, as long as you're happy, that's all that matters the most. And, cool. You know, yeah. That's good, man. And that's, that's, I try to, I try to stay vibed up like that. There's been times where I've tried to not drink beer for a couple months. And you know what? <laughs> That doesn't make me happy. So I've no. said having a beer every now and again isn't the worst thing ever. I do what yeah. I need to do to quote unquote stay fit, you know, be ready to throw a leg over a bike as a weekend warrior. But after yep. that, I try to have fun with life, right? Exactly. So we just talked a little bit about where you're at now. Let's completely turn the tables and let's have a Dustry Abbott or a Destry Abbott history lesson. Like I have <laughs> I've been thinking about this. Like I've wanted to talk to gentlemen like yourself who I knew about as a young age growing up and watching and doing cool stuff on dirt bikes, but in the reality of it, I was so young that I wasn't at a point where I could know and really learn about what you did to get into the sport. So I'd love to start that out. You know, was it the traditional journey that we see where either A, your dad rode and bought you a bike at five, or was it the, I'm 13 and I'm going to get a bike behind my mom's back because she says I can't have one? Yeah, you know, honestly, that, that's great. Actually, I never really had that question asked. And I, I did, you know, start young as far as my dad raced. and But I didn't get into it until I was 13. When you're, Like you just said, I actually, it, it kind of like, it's what I wanted to do. But I didn't race my first race until I was 13. And then it kind of took off. But I was honestly not that, holy crap, this kid's going to be good. I wasn't that guy. I just kind of always progressed, progressed, and got better. And, you know, and even after high school, I went to college. I was trying to be a firefighter and fire science, and but I still wanted. I was racing locally pro here in Arizona and winning some off-road races and motocross events. But uh, I honestly never thought I'd go the direction I did. I mean, right. I can tell you that it's honest truth. And you know, we had my daughter at 19, and so it was working night jobs at a freight company. I was loading up 48-foot trailers with a forklift, and we lived. At, my wife and I lived in a single-wide trailer, so we didn't have it easy like people think and not to knock this generation, but the kids nowadays expect everything right away. It's like, all right, what can you do for me? And I'm like, dude, it wasn't that way. We just kept <laughs> working, working. And right. you know, then it took off, but I didn't win my first national until I was 23, 24. And then I got picked up with Kawasaki and then, you know, everything took off. But, uh, yeah. yeah when you was, say, when you say you won your first national, um, it, it, talk to me a little bit about about that because I do know 
that you know you did moto for a long time yeah. as well before you even got into off road. So when you're when you're starting at this age of thirteen, right? You kind of you know you're just riding around having fun and goofing off. Like was there? And you, we said that obviously there's no desire to to be pro, right? But all of a sudden, when and where did that that shift happen for you? That you're like, wait a minute, how could I maybe make money doing this? Right. I actually wanted to race motocross, you know, full time, but. I qualified for outdoor nationals. I raced outdoors and a lot of people didn't know that. And I did that in the late nineties and I actually raced some in the 2000 and 2012 was my last one. And I raced four that year and qualified and, but I wasn't a top 20 guy. I wasn't a guy to make a living at that. And so I use that as cross training and it kind of like Rodney Smith, those guys that were versatile riders who I looked up to. And that's what I wanted to do. You know, I've been fortunate to, win a national enduro, win a hair and hound, win a hair scramble, everything else besides basically a GNCC. And that I got fourth overall at uh, Okeechobee, Florida. And, you know, that was uh, awesome because those guys were ripped back there. They're so good. And so I just wanted to be a versatile rider, meaning I could do everything. And that's why I like ISDE and following that right now. And, uh, yeah, it's just – I just get bored of doing just one thing. You know, it's just – it's to me it's a lot more fun and – like Taylor Robert to me is one of the best versatile riders that can ride everything. And oh, it's, I wish it's cool to see. I the, the times that Kirk Caselli got a chance to rap, yeah, Kirk, you know, race perfect. some of the the, uh, the national. Oh, I'm sorry, the national motocross events. I was yep. just enamored how well he did. Yeah, there. Yeah. Sure, there. He was outside the top twenty more times than not in the finishes. Right. But to yeah. to really still be that versatile blows my mind. So thinking of it like that and what you were saying, the same thing. I'm like, man, Taylor Robert would be a perfect experiment right now. Um, yeah. It's like, dude, because like one of the things I see him and Caleb and Fad and Josh Strang and those guys do that I don't that I don't do, and a lot of other guys don't do. They don't. We don't jump, right? But those guys jump. And it's like right. some of the, like, if you look at Godzilla that we just had at Iron Man, like, hold, yep. you got to have cojones, bro, to hit that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, so how Those do we how do we huge. do that? How do how do we uh, how do we pay off their sponsors to let them go race a national motocross? <laughs> it's tough nowadays. I think it's getting more corporate. Meaning, you know, back on my day or whatever, you know, it, we could say I could talk to Kawasaki and go, "Hey, I want to go try Red Bud or I want to do Bud's Creek," and they'd be like, "Oh, okay, cool, yeah, go ahead." Where nowadays, I think uh, they have so much invested in the riders that they don't want to, you know push them to go do another event because you know they to potentially sponsor, get hurt or exactly or whatever yeah paying them to go win a gncc title or enduro whatever it may be and you know it's even with gary sutherland our pervines d8 rider like you know he's like hey i want to go do this other stuff and we're kind of like no let's you're leaving <laughs> the work series you're leaving the hair and hounds let's uh let's focus on that and and he's a really versatile rider like he's one of the top guys now that it's kind of proven hard work pays off because oh, he was a mechanic right. for yeah. he was a mechanic for Rick, Ricky Dietrich on our Kawi team and who would ever thought the mechanic would be a factory rider winning championships years later and that's just one of those things that's proven you know hard work does pay off yeah Absolutely. So uh, as we go through and we start talking about bikes, I know that there will be so many people that would give me Twitter crap with tweets of, <laughs> tweets of hell if we did not start if we didn't talk a little bit about some of the bikes that you rode, you know, kind of in your early days. Like when you're like yeah. you're talking about 13, you're getting into it. Like what bikes were you riding a- at that time? I, I think my first bike was like a 79. Well, I should say my first bike I raced was a 79. YZ80, he knows like the mono dual shock, no yep. suspension and following a girl around the whole time. But, uh, you know, I was riding, I didn't care at that point. I had no visor. 
we had no money, but it was the time of my life. You know, those are oh, some absolutely. memories. You know, so, you know, when I see guys out there, I'm not one to make fun of somebody on a bad bike or bad gear and mismatching gear. I don't care. I'm like, they're having a blast. And to me, that's what I enjoy seeing the most. Yep, man, there's, I wish I could find it. My parents don't know where it is. I'm 12 years old. We're at the Perry Mountain Enduro, you know, because we grew up, I grew up in Louisiana. We raced Sarah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I raced And and there's this picture of me after the kids race, just fully, you know, just totally mud. And I'm 12, so I'm kind of chubby, you know. It took me a while to, like, get that, that, that last growth spurt. And yeah. uh, my we we didn't you know we didn't have a ton of money too earlier on. My parents did a little bit better for themselves later in life. But you know I'm in super busted ass gear. The zippers busted and my jersey's all poking through the bottom of the zipper. And you can cut like my guts all hanging out over the top over the pants. <laughs> but like the biggest shit eating grin right across my face exactly. because and just dirty as all get out. Like yeah, I mean those those are the times and that's what it's really all about. And I know that yeah make fun of me, but it was awesome. And those are the memories that we have that we remember. So I think. I didn't. I raced uh, all the kids races with Sarah and stuff on Saturday, but yeah, it was like you know the the typical JR fifty to a KX sixty five to a CR eighty, uh, you know, kind of kind of, I guess path. Yeah, know, exactly. So, but where say so? Then you were on that seventy nine, right? That YZ eighty. Yeah, kind of like what's the like progression that from there? Then it was like an eighty seven or eighty three, maybe eighty three YZ. Uh, AD, and then uh, I think in '86 I went to KTM, and uh, I think that was the first year they came out with their AD, if I remember right, '86, '87, and then rode that for a little bit, and then uh, yeah, I was on KTM's until nine or no, yeah, late '90s, and that's when I signed with Kylie. So I was on KTM's when they weren't as good as they are now. So right, left- and that was before the buyout and all the original buyout yeah, exactly. and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My dad loved KTM's, and so that's when we rode and. Yeah, but like you said, I, I mean, I had amazing times, and yeah, I don't regret anything. Yeah, so when when you're starting to make that mental shift of, okay, I'm not a top 20 racer, but I want to, now I'm like, holy crap, there might be a way for me to make money, right, be a professional racer, and yeah. you're starting to go, okay, there's this other, there's this off-road stuff. Like, where, yeah. where do you start to, you know, you're from Arizona, but you're following the national scene, like, how do you kind of, like, had you done any of those off-road events to have prior knowledge of them? Or were you kind of like going out there like, I'm going to have to figure this out? No, I was actually more of an off-road guy that, you know, I started, my dad was a desert racer. So I grew okay. up desert racing. And then when I got to bigger bikes, 250s and stuff like that, that's when I wanted a moto. I thought that was what the cool guys did. So oh, okay, I cool. race moto. So, of course, that's the direction I went and realizing, well, shit, this is really hard and you got to have a lot of money and traveling and, and, you know, and honestly, I enjoy, I hated being at the track and sitting for so long and the atmosphere and moto that most people know is, is a lot different. It's a little more uptight. People don't talk to each other and that's not me. I'm like on the start line, Hey, good luck. And you know, they look over at you like, what are you doing? Like, that's what I enjoyed. I just talked to people. I hate you. Don't look at me. (laughs) You know, it's like, yeah, Hey, after the finish, I'm like, Hey, that was fun. And you know, give them a thumbs up and, most racers, you see them finish, they don't look at anybody. They don't, you know, it's like, that's off-road is that way. We help each other out in the pits, changing tires, whatever it may be. And I think that's what makes off-road cool and, and family-oriented. Not saying moto's bad, but right, just different. Just more yeah. family. Exactly. Can't yeah, it fits be into some people's uh, personalities different too, I think, as well. It, exactly. And we, we race each other and we're all competitive. But at the same time, somebody's hurt, they'll stop. Hey, you okay? You know, everything all right? And then move on. You know, that's kind of off-road mentality, that mentality that I like. 
So when you made that kind of that transition in the late '90s to Cowie, you know, for for the yeah. most for the majority of your career, you were on Cowies. Mm-hmm. Was that uh, excuse me? Was that a, a kind of a switch, a timing switch to off road in the what you pursued more, or was that still a little bit more moto? No, hundred percent. I was over. It was '97. I was on KTM's, and I was in Italy and racing for the ISDE, and did really well over there. Then Kawasaki, the boss, then. Um, you know, offered me a position there and it wasn't much cause I was actually getting a little bit of money from KTM, but I knew that was the elite team to be on and the bikes were really good and I wanted to ride the KX 500. And so I was like, this is what I want to do. So I gambled and took a lot less and no money, and, but bonuses were good. And you know, it's, it paid off. I looked at the big picture and you know, it worked out great so far, honestly. Yeah, no, I, I didn't. So 97, and you've, we talk about the quick ISDE. I mean, we probably we could talk about everything that's going on right now, but man, that yeah. we would, we would be here for a couple of days. Um, <laughs> so seven ISDE gold medals, I believe yeah. in 97, where were you at in that, in that, uh, that, that train of, of kicking ass at the ISDEs? Uh, I was on a club team that year. It was the first year I went to ISD and Italy was just amazing, you know, and you know, the trophy guys were going so fast, but I was fortunate to, to overall one or two tests that year and which was kind of unheard of for a club rider. And, and that's what opened up a lot of people's eyes, you know, because I was still racing just in Arizona and a couple other events. And, uh, then once that took off it, uh, yeah, it, it snowballed to an, as, a, as far as a good thing goes. And yeah, then it results started coming. And next thing I knew, I got to quit my job and start focusing on racing. And my wife worked for a bank and she was doing well. So, yeah, I was a stay-home dad during the day for the most part, and then riding and training in the afternoons or early in the morning. So when uh, when you were as a club rider winning or overalling some of the tests, you know, nowadays we think about back, I think it was, uh, you know, three or four years ago when Ryan Sipes was doing that as a club oh, yeah. rider. So people yeah. were like, oh, look, he siped it. Now, in the long run, yeah. we could actually be like, no, bro, he was abiding it. Like, <laughs> he pulled a destry. Exactly. Like, he was yeah. doing the destry. So it's like yeah, there's more history there than we know about. Right, Ryan Sipes overall did ISD, which was pretty awesome, and then Taylor did it last year. So it was I was so pumped for both of those guys. Both of them are phenomenal guys and uh, versatile, and that's what I, I like to see out of them too. Yeah. Um, so as we were, we've kind of you know broached the subject a tad. I'm from Louisiana. I live in Texas now, so I've never done you know the most desert stuff that I've done have been the Baja rally in 2014. And oh, yeah. then again, you know, doing the rip to Cabo in 2015. Now, yep. both of those are awesome events, right? But they're still not desert racing. Like what you guys do when you do mm-hmm. things like best in their desert, national hare and hounds, and some of the, even some of the score events, right? They're just different. Right. Um, so you're making this transition to really focusing on being a, a champion national hare and hound racer. It, it, what what's that like like what's that mentality like and, and i would even say too like let's talk about it what it was back in the day and maybe you could even talk about how they've changed and how riders light up now and maybe how they would think about it differently yeah when you're in even best in desert and score relate to each other because you know they race with trucks so of course the racing speed is a lot faster a lot higher um i didn't race a lot of baja because kawasaki wasn't involved in Baja back then with Danny Hamill passing away. Oh, that's um, right. Yep, that's, oh, that's yeah. A solid so we point. Did, we never really went down to Baja and raced. Um, you know, towards the end of my career, kind of Kawasaki did a support team with the THR and a couple other people, and I did that, and that was a blast. But uh, hare and hounds are a lot different. What people think is hare and hounds are just wide open, 
And the first loop is kind of faster, but through valleys. And the second loop's honestly first, second, third gear, technical through the tra- through the hills, virgin stuff. I mean, it's just course marking, and uh, and that's the stuff where I excelled at. That's what I liked. I didn't enjoy the high speed fast stuff. People are like, oh, you like that? And I'm like, honestly, I hated that. I just <laughs> I just wanted to get through that stuff to get to the technical part. Right. Then it was more finesse because so many guys go fast and. I just didn't like getting out of my comfort zone. I'd rather ride smart and be patient and, you know, kind of let the race come to me. And that's what you have to do in desert racing and off-road for that matter of fact that, you know, you have to be a veteran for the most part and know when to go fast. And when it's dusty, we don't pin it through the dust like a lot of guys think. And You don't cold trickle it? No, no, no cold trickle. <laughs> yeah, yeah, stay high, stay high. But no, honestly, it was, uh, it's, it's just a different type of racing and, and, you know, I've been to the Heron Hounds this year, and the series has taken off again, which is awesome. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's it's just a different – two different type of desert racing stra- formats, I guess. Yeah. And so is – um, how would you – I mean, does the National Heron Hounds series feel the same to you now? I mean, granted, it, it's – you know, when you started it 20 years ago, right, it's different. Like, we know it's different, you know, using uh-huh. air quotes, of course. But, I mean, like, in the long run, like, do you still think that it's the same – the same vibe, the same feel and that, you know, any, any, uh, evolution that has happened has bettered the, you know, the course of the national hair and hounds. Um, I think it's definitely changed. The downfall is, is land is getting tighter. So right. they're having to race rougher courses than what we probably did because it's more whipped out. Um, the downfall still is all the manufacturers. When I was doing it, you know, we had Kawi, Honda, Yamaha, you know, there's so many different manufacturers that were part of, racing you know now it's kind of like ktm husky and yamaha like in the gccs and you know the jcr honda team but the manufacturers just still aren't involved in off-road as they were during my era during my prime i guess but right no it was it's a bummer but it seems like it's taken off and the numbers are getting bigger again and you know the industry's growing which is people are realizing how fast off-road racers are and, uh, and it's even the motocross guys give us a lot of respect for the guys, especially now what they're doing. Cause they are versatile riders. Yeah. Um, it, it do you think you know, this is kind of a, a strange offshoot, but it's a little bit of a money conversation. You know, do you think that all the money that was in off road before the recession was because that back then they saw the, What's the right word? They saw the potential, right, in, in catering to the off-road market, knowing knowing that in the long run the off-road market is bigger. We're just not as publicized, right, as motocross and supercross um, yeah. versus – or, you know, were they getting, you know, return on their investment kind of a thing? Because now it seems like they're scared to get back into off-road because it would feel like they don't have as high of a return on investment because, again, air quotes, we're not on TV, Exactly, um, but there are. I feel you know, being an off-road enthusiast and being one of those at, at local events, national events that I can get to, that there are huge turnouts of crazy enthusiasts for those events themselves. But we, again, to your point, we see a very finite amount of manufacturer support now. So I just don't know if back then they were doing it because they just had so much money from motocross and supercross that they were like, yeah, off-road, awesome, let's put money into it, or. Do you think that they were legitimately seeing good return on their investment at the time? No, no, I, I agree 100%. I think back then, even now, the investment in off-road racing is so much bigger than what they're giving credit to. You know, everything now is 
is what what's being shown on TV or this. But honestly, majority of the people out there riding can relate to off-road riders, trail riders, than they can guy riding a supercross track. And yeah, they get a lot of coverage, and those guys are making huge money. Where off-road guys, you know, you can't even they are not compare them to what those guys <laughs> not yeah, making huge money. <laughs> they're not making huge money, you know, and it's and it sucks because they're they're risking just as much as any supercross racer and. I think more people, like I was saying, is relating to off-road racing. You know, that's honestly, I just think it's corporate. It's you know, I've sat in so many corporate meetings, and I try to explain to them how important off-road racing is because it is basically the the roots of riding. You know, all these kids on the Supercross track have grown up trail riding or out riding somewhere, play riding, and uh, I think uh, once they they catch back onto that because they needed places to cut budgets to pay the supercross or keep motocross supercross going right and it usually came from off-road and and it's too bad because their numbers have gone down a long ways but now you're seeing a lot of the manufacturers making off-road models and you know ktm's killing it husqvarna's killing it with their off-road markets so we're just trying to get the japanese involved more and that's something we're trying to work on with yamaha with our pervines team right now too yeah i bet i bet that's tough so how many hair and hound championships? Is that ten? No, that I have had? five. I I have five there. Then I have five best in the desert. Oh, okay, so I you have, have like I have ten deserty ups, ones. Yeah, yeah, ten major championships, and they okay. were they were a lot bigger then, of course. But hey, yeah, you stop so. that. You're awesome. We love you. Yeah, well, thank you. But yeah. <laughs> um, and then, so when I think Enduro Cross started, what 13, 14 years ago. I Ish. think it was something like that. We actually talked about that at Vegas at the opening round because I was at the very first one. And so it was like I think 2003, it was right 2004, something like that. Somewhere yeah. right in there, yeah. So exactly. <laughs> when you showed up to that first Enduro Cross, talk to me. Like, be honest. What was going yeah. through your mind? Like, you're like Eric Bernard. You're a crazy, yeah, exa- like masochistic exactly. asshole. <laughs> you've you've been you've been to them. You know. Oh yeah, it's, it's I've raced them. It sucks. Talent. <laughs> and we talked we talked about that as far as how far that's came because the courses are so much harder now, but everybody has tracks. Back then, we just had some single logs. I remember Randy Hawkins and some other guys there and uh, Lafferty. We all struggled. I mean, we were just trying to ride across the pipe and over tires that were laying down. I'm like, shit, none of us have ever done this before. Right. So we looked like goons. You know, it was it was horrible, but it was entertaining for sure. Where nowadays. You know, these kids are jumping everything and they're just, so the tracks are getting so much harder, which, you know, lately they've been making them, I don't want to say easier, but more flowy to try to get the the youth and uh, the amateurs involved more because it just got too tough to where, yeah, it was, it was hard for people to want to show up and, and race yeah. because it was too hard for them. Well, do you remember, was at this first 2003, 2004, I, I hadn't kind of like gotten back, I had gra- graduated college in 02 and moved to Texas, and so I was, I had, hadn't yet bought a house or anything, you know, blah, 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 moving through life, if you will, so I couldn't <laughs> afford a dirt bike again, right? So I didn't really get back into riding until 06, and I think it was like 07 or 08 is when I started doing the ones that were up in Oklahoma. Um, yep. And they still had, they were doing the Can-Am four-wheelers still. Yeah. In the Was Enduro it the lazy, lazy E or the Lazy E Arena, yeah, that's the exactly. one, yeah, yeah. I remember um, that. yeah. In Guthrie, Guthrie, Oklahoma. So, Guthrie, that's were it. you guys yeah. doing uh, the four wheelers like in the first Enduro crosses as well no, back in Las Vegas? That was- no, that was only a few rounds they did that at, and uh, it didn't take off as much as I think they were hoping, of course. But I remember that there too because they had quads and 
Yeah, and that was I think they only did that maybe for a year. Okay, so, yeah. because I remember, yeah, yeah that, I can't remember if that was the first or second one that I went to that I was, that I, uh, and I, again, air quotes, competed at, if you will, <laughs> yeah. went, rode around the track like a squid as we're talking about, but man, yeah. the evolution of Endurocross has really become crazy. I noticed during the webcast that they put together, uh, they showed an extremely young Colton Haker. Did you happen to notice that? Or you were yeah. there, you were watching and racing I, and all that, but did you see was, those pictures yep. from him? I do. I remember. I remember Cody Webb. I remember a lot of those guys, and you know, and they've came a long ways because they were uh, just you know Cody, especially the trials guy, never get off the ground like Jeff Aaron is now still, but phenomenal, talented riders. And uh, once they learned how to jump and how to adapt to real motorcycles versus trials motorcycles. You know, I don't want to say real because that sounded weird, but yeah, like big bikes, you know. So, I mean, I'm not going to say anything, but that sounded weird. I'm going to have the trials days giving me crap. <laughs> yeah, like, you're going to be tweeted at like a motherfucker. Exactly. <laughs> now I'm going to get crap now. So. You hate trials riders? Oh, my God. Damn it. Death Rabbit hates everybody. Yeah. We have two, actually. We cross train on them. I love them. I love them. They're fun as crap. Oh, they're, they're so good. I went to the world trials at uh, in Kingman, Arizona. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Oh, I can I only was imagine. Blown away. I was. I would have never thought they could do what they were doing. I was like, "There's no way." So those guys are amazing. Yeah, and, and I was, was kissing ass there. Back to the trials, oh, guys. As, so. as you should be digging me but, out of a hole. No, you're allowed. It's okay. <laughs> and but the evolution that we've seen, I guess we'll call it 13 years, just because why you know whatever uh, has been insane. So you now kind of coming back into it, you know. F off everybody that gave you shit because that's stupid. Um, <laughs> did, did you have fun, right? You said you rode kind of crazy this, that, the other, but, you know, I yeah. think a lot of people are like, oh, my God, Endurocross looks horrible, right? Like, But yeah. I, I, I've enjoyed it the times that I did okay, right? Not great yeah. because I've never done great, but the times where I was not literally picking my bike up every other obstacle, I kind of yeah. enjoyed it. So where are you exactly. at now that you're kind of like back on the track and back competing with it? Yeah, it's it's a love hate relationship in Durocross. Me, you love like, to hate it. I understand. Yeah, exactly. Like <laughs> it's extreme racing. I love extreme races, and you know, it's just that mental. I love the mental side. I'm a big mental guy, and I train that with all my guys. Is the mental side? It's not going to go perfect. It's just how you deal with that. You know, champions aren't made on their good days; they're made on their bad, and that's so accurate because those bad days are the ones that you have to dig deep, and that's in Durocross racing. You're gonna struggle. Everybody comes off the track, you know, a heart rate at a 200 beats per minute. And it's, it's normal. You know, you're like, man, I trained so freaking hard for this. And I still feel out of shape. But that is Endurocross. And it's just you have to be on your toes the whole time. And, you know, those days that you have a bad one, the next race, it goes really well. And it goes bad again. But that's what keeps bringing you back is, you know, the fact that you sucked last time. You want to redeem yourself. And I think that's what makes Endurocross exciting because it is unpredictable, too. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> it, is, yeah. it is definitely unpredictable. Exactly. You, if if uh, if it were allowed by your current sponsors, and by current sponsors I mean you're the owner or one of the owners. Yeah, um, yeah wrong Pervin. Would you would you ride your KX500 at an Endurocross? No, it's so different. You know, it's <laughs> I wouldn't have fun to be honest with you riding it. You know, I'd be in first gear the whole time, and it's uh, it's pretty gnarly, but. Uh, it, it's still fun riding every now and then, dusting off, and it's a cool bike. Honestly, the motor is oh. phenomenal. You ride, you can't ride it like aggressive. You got to ride it a gear high, and uh, that's what makes that bike so much fun to ride. Is it's a finesse bike. Yeah. Oh, I bet. I think. I think if there was any way that you could just bring it 
You know, and like if if I'm sure Eric Bernard would let you do this, just like bring it out there to the start gate and just <laughs> and just ring it out. You know, yeah. warm, warm it up first because it is a two stroke and it's a little bit yeah. it's in its it's in its heyday. Uh, just to ring it out and let everybody hear that 500 yeah. and kind of like feel it. I think that it would uh, it would rev the crowd up and get them all ready I, I for did, the event. I actually did that at Vegas two years oh, ago for well, opening ceremonies. Yeah, I did it just for opening ceremonies when we rode down and they waved. I actually got my 500 and I did that on it, but. Yeah, I, I wasn't gonna race it. I really oh, yeah. to get the F then. So Yeah, but racing it, it would be cool. stupid. But yeah, just having yeah. that bike there to do that for every yeah. opening ceremonies would be pretty yeah. bitching. Yeah, well dude. A lot of great um, memories. Oh man, I bet. So in the in the scope of what people do but you know, as we kind of start to wrap it up, right? Like what are yep. some of the things that I may not have like even thought to ask about the history <sighs> of Destry Abbott when it comes to dirt bikes and just I, being I, a badass? I think you <laughs> thank you. I think you hit the head you know, the nail on the head with uh um, doing all types of racing. I think a lot of people don't know. We, we were telling someone the other day about flat tracking. I'm like, oh, I've done that. I actually won Pikes Peak Hill Climb on a flat track bike, and it was the weirdest thing. But I'm like, I've always tried to be a versatile rider, tried to ride all different style of events. And I think uh, a lot of people didn't know all the type of racing I did and, you know, that I've done pretty well at most of them. But I didn't mind failing at a lot of them too, like even outdoors, not qualifying. But it made me better. It made me a better rider for what I'm, you know, trying to win championships at. So right. I think the biggest thing is just not worrying about failing. Too many people worry about, oh, I'm not going to do well. I don't want to go try that because I'm not going to do well. But honestly, you learn so much out of doing bad or failing at things in life in general, whatever it may be. And, you know, even what my wife and I are going through, it's been a tough battle, but it's made us appreciate a lot of other things. Not that I didn't before, but you know, it's it's what we were uh, what we were dealt with, and you know, it's just about staying positive and trying to look ahead and don't don't have any regrets for sure. I don't regret anything I've done. Uh, that's awesome. I've got I've got about three. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm sure we all do. In the, the yeah. yeah. Uh, anybody who's uh, anybody who's had at least more than six beers with me probably has heard yeah. quite a few fun stories. Yeah, so. I've I've spent some time with you. I know. <laughs> it could, it could get awkward. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, um, if every I know for a fact, you know, we you and I have chatted many years throughout the times. Luckily enough that I've been, uh, you know, blessed to do this and have fun talking to all you off road geniuses. Um, but now you you have also transitioned to doing a lot of the Destry Abbott training, right? So D A eight, and now you have the team through that. Uh, I would love it if you'd kind of give a, um, a little bit of a you know, a synopsis of that and, and how people can learn more about that so that we can, you know, just get more people aware of what you're doing on that aspect of, of all the knowledge that you've gained throughout the years. Right. Yeah. And that's exactly it. I think it's the knowledge of been through a lot of the type of things that people are trying to deal with. And I get to work with so many amazing racers, you know, with the D8 training facility or D8 training, I should say. And, you know, riding I do online training, having workouts for guys each week and back east, even in Europe and stuff like that. A lot of guys do online training, having a structure. I think a lot of people don't have structure. They don't know what to do. And structure is huge, you know, on and off the bike and uh, learning how to prepare. I have a lot of people that stay here at the house with me. I have an apartment in the casita that riders come and stay with me. They go to the gym and they see what it's like to train for a week, you know, and then they go back home and you know, they go, okay, I see what I need to do. And then I work with them mentally, you know, preparing. And when they are going through tough times, how to deal with that. So I, I'm really lucky to deal with 
racers and non-racers. You know, I have people that just want to come and ride for a week and which is fine with me. And we have amazing rider here, riding here in Arizona besides right now, cause it sucks. It's hot, but <laughs> overall, overall it's, it's a blast, you know, and now with Ron Pervines who owns our Pervines D8 race team, um, we get to work with Gary, you know, we have a lot of really good riders there and my son's on the team. And so we're, we're enjoying the program, building a team and, uh, you know, hopefully we'll win some championships and keep plugging away there. Dig it. And then like, I think, the perfect outro for any of this, it's like, you know, you got kind of the bug from your dad, right? I definitely got the yep. bug from my dad, you know, and, and and you're now transitioning into that where that's where your son kind of got his bug rep from, you know, and now you're, so that we're on to that third generation of Abbott's, you know, kind of competing. Yeah. Like, how's that feel as a dad, like, to watch that? It's, it's pretty amazing. It's getting, uh, I get more nervous now than I ever did when I raced, you know, because he's finally reaching that level you know and honestly he didn't start racing until three years ago he uh he was into football and basketball and I think he felt a lot of pressure trying to I don't want to say follow in my footsteps but you know kind of like oh he should be really good and he just was he was nervous about that and now you know he finished eighth at the opening of the cross round and he's running second or third in the work series and the lights class and he's doing really well and I don't I still don't put a lot of pressure on him he's He's 19 now and just uh, it's about having fun and, you know, experience is what's going to pay off and he's figuring that out and he's been working hard and it's clicking this year on the Yamahas. Awesome. That's great to hear. Well, um, I'll do my part in two years and take him to the alligator bar and he can see the other (laughs) side of life and then that way he can put his head down and focus and make sure that we'll keep him on track really, really well. (laughs) Alligator bar is always a good time in Vegas. It is not horrible. Yeah. (laughs) Well, uh, yeah, dude, Mr. Destry Abbott, I obviously really, really appreciate your time. I think that, you know, it's you're one of those people that I don't think a lot of people uh, think of as someone that has put a lot of effort into our sport and a lot of a, a lot of growth for where we are. And but I think you are, and it's been great to kind of continue to learn about you because it's gentlemen like yourself that not only have done badass things for the sport of off road, but continue to push into the future of the sport of off road. And I think that we need to make sure that people like yourself don't feel left out of the sport for any kind of reason and i'm just glad that that you know that door hasn't been shut and that you're still motivated to continue to push forward so that's awesome i I appreciate it i'm passionate you know i follow all the types of racing you know east coast west coast especially off-road so uh, i'm on internet you know always instagram twitter everything just trying to see what's happening at each race live timing so i'm an enthusiast just like everybody else Awesome. Well, dude, I really appreciate the time. And just, uh, if nothing else, always enjoy a pint full of awesome, right? Absolutely. You're killer. Thank you for having me on too. (laughs) No worries, dude. Man, I hope you guys were as excited about that as I was. Learning that much about Mr. Destry Abbott is pretty stinking awesome. And it's pretty neat to hear kind of a little bit of a history lesson, learning about how he grew up riding with his dad, then got got into racing with his dad, and then was like, well, hey, I want to do some moto. And then from there, how do I make some money doing some off-road racing? And then now, where he is today is pretty stinking epic. So if you guys enjoyed this, please remember that you can support us by going to seattime.co slash support and using some of the affiliate links there, specifically shopping on Amazon. So if you go to Amazon, go there first, click the Amazon banner. It just gives us a small percentage of that. Then, of course, you can go to fpmg.threadless.com if you'd like to grab a seat time t-shirt. To that point, if there's a seat time t-shirt 
idea that you'd have we'd love for you to send that over to us um our fridge competition has gone awesome this week so we've had that on instagram so thanks everybody for putting in your your moto fridge stickers on instagram and giving us a tag we really appreciate that and then we'd love it for you to become a patron on patreon so patreon.com slash time if you just like what we do and want to support us a little bit on a monthly basis uh one dollar honestly helps out the more people that do it the better it helps us with hosting costs and everything that comes into this so Thanks again for tuning in. Reach out if you have ideas, and let me know what you thought about this episode. Remember, I'm Mr. Brian Pierce, your purveyor of awesome. This has been Seat Time. Always enjoy a pint full of awesome.